yesterday's story about a guy who's got 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, possibly potentially price gouging and hoarding them, banned from Amazon, has been a really big polarizing subject. Um, we've had a lot of different comments, everyone from commenting about how they're the worst type of people in the world, they're not just price gouging, they're causing an actual shortage, this isn't capitalism, it's evil. Well, I'd like to talk about that further today and I uh, want to try and give a balanced approach to a very, very polarizing issue. You can see these comments are very uh, one-sided so far, um, very much the general public is very much against this and, and I can understand why. Anybody who's going to the store right now and they see all those empty shelves, it's it's a crazy, crazy situation right now. Very much a pandemic sweeping the nation. Uh, this week, I would not even be surprised if the government shut down partially or mandated it nationwide in some capacity. Uh, that's how serious it's getting. Um, but you can see just dozens and dozens of comments Pretty much all of us saying the same thing. Price gouging is wrong. Can't be explained by more simpler than that. People that do this have no morals. Uh, this man is pure evil. People are dying and he's just hoarding all the supplies. These guys need to put to, on their nice guy's hat to do the due to the circumstances we are all in now and do the right thing. A lot of people commented and said, hey, these guys should donate to a hospital. And, and all of those comments pretty much one-sided Maybe a couple people are like, can't blame this guy, he's, he's hustling, etc. So there's a lot, of, uh, <clears throat> a lot of sentiment here, very negative. Um, I'm going to do something and kind of express why there might actually be a benefit to the general public when a situation like this happens to allow uh, a little bit of free market temporary price hikes to help out. So it, here's a chart to look at, and this is, this is coming from... Uh, Mike J. Perry, he's a supposed scholar. You can find him on Make Mike Mark J. Perry on, on Twitter there. And there's this chart here, and this talks about when a shortage occurs, the availability of goods, the price that temporarily goes up, and then because prices go up, supply then automatically catches up very quickly. And I'm going to read a portion of this article to kind of explain uh, why that might be a benefit. So, for example... Uh, when there's a giant uh, natural disaster, if, if there's temporary shortages in a particular location and prices go up in that location, uh, this article is going to talk about why uh, that actually might be a good thing and that surrounding communities then bring their goods in to solve the problem. Now, I don't know if this example that I'm going to be talking about will address a nationwide crisis, to be honest, um, but let's, let's go into some detail here and think about it. So it reads, natural disasters like hurricanes create huge disruptions to the local markets that are affected by those events. Destruction of property, temporary shortage of key goods, and human suffering are natural consequences of those market disruptions. The crucial issue society faces is how to minimize human suffering and speed up the recovery process in post-disaster period. And I think that's really kind of the key is about speed, right? So if, if these guys aren't allowed to move their goods right now, uh, there's going to be less access to them, and there isn't going to be anybody rushing to sell their goods at regular pricing right now. Um, and, and people who uh, could buy it at regular pricing, they're just going to swoop in and buy it all up anyway. So, all right, so there are often long delays before emergency agencies like FEMA and the Red Cross can deliver critical supplies like water, food, clothing, building supplies to the affected areas, and in our case, toilet paper. 
and hand sanitizer and face masks. There are also long delays before retailers like Home Depot and Walmart can restart their supply chain. So yesterday, uh, Walmart announced that they're going to limit their store hours to 6 a.m. to midnight, giving them a chance uh, to fix and, and restock and resupply. Uh, so, and reopen restores in affected areas, restock with supplies local residents desperately need. It also takes weeks, if not sometimes months, for local utilities to restore electrical power to the damaged areas. During those transition periods from post-disaster to critical supplies like water and food can be delivered in adequate supplies when the power can be restored for most residents. There's often a gap period. That's what we're experiencing right now, by the way. When critical supplies and electrical power are scarce or not available at all, prices are therefore temporarily higher than their pre-disaster levels. It's during those critical gap periods that profit-seeking entrepreneurs, like our gentleman from the video yesterday that got you know, spiked. So, uh, and by the way, I've seen uh, news reports that Tennessee and the state of Tennessee and Washington are actually going to sue this guy and take him to court. And so he's an entrepreneur who swooped in and... There's that gap period. All right, so where was I? Uh, let's go through here. Increases in prices, at least temporary, during those transitionary periods. The public policy response of many cities and states following a disaster is to enact or enforce existing anti-price gouging laws that prevent post-disaster prices from rising above their pre-disaster levels or that limit how high prices can rise before they are considered illegal gouging. Obviously, once normal supply chains and national retailers are restored, and once supplies from emergency agencies like FEMA are delivered, the prices of critical supplies like water return to their pre-disaster levels. The price gougers are out of business, and the anti-price gouging laws are no longer necessary. So if we think about it, this guy right here, um, two weeks from now, if we're back to normal, and who knows if we will be, he's going to be out of business anyway. So if no action was taken, uh, there, there wouldn't be a problem to solve once we're back to normal. But a key political and economic issue, and one that has been debated after every natural disaster for at least a half century, is this. Should we allow market prices to rise temporarily following disasters and allow entrepreneurial price gougers to temporarily, temporarily play a role in providing critical supplies during the gap period at elevated prices or should we suppress market prices with government price controls? I think that's a really critical question. To help answer this timeless uh, perennial post-disaster issue, I offer some thoughts below on the advantages and disadvantages of market prices compared to government prices, ceilings via anti-price gouging laws during the temporary gap periods following natural disasters. Those temporary and often very short periods before normal supply chains are restored and when prices are temporarily high. So advantages of allowing a market price to rise after something like hurricanes. Market-determined prices and wages require no legislation or enforcement mechanisms. In contrast, government price controls do require enforcement mechanisms and prosecution, which can be costly and time-consuming. So if the, if the state of Tennessee and Washington, and I'm sure others are going to pile on these guys because they're enemy number one in the public right now after that New York Times article, uh, they are very much going to be dealt with in the courts for years to come. It's going to take lots of state resources. Quite frankly, I'd rather see those state resources going to providing hand sanitizer door to door, but that's just me. Higher market prices will discourage overconsumption and encourage a greater conservation of scarce resources and supplies. That's probably the most important thing right there, I think, that will come out of this article right there. In contrast, government price controls do the opposite. They encourage overconsumption and discourage conservation. So if this guy went to market right now and lowered his prices at regular, they, by, within five minutes, they would all be bought up, 
probably by one other dude who's just going to hoard them themselves. Whereas if they were all high prices, um, then, uh, you know, a, a family that just needs those two bottles, they're going to come in and buy that critical need and they're going to leave the market alone because they obviously aren't going to try and stock up when prices are gouged, allowing for everybody to do the same thing. They come in and get those one or two bottles. Higher market prices will attract needed supplies as quickly as possible from outside the affected areas. Now, this is the one issue that I think is probably the hottest contested topic because the whole entire nation right now is affected by this. So, quite frankly, the world. Um, so it's, it's kind of debatable whether there is going to be somebody from outside of these affected areas that are going to come in. Now, with that said, Europe is now the epicenter of coronavirus. We've seen um, China actually send supplies into Italy and Spain, which is kind of weird to hear. Uh, and and we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing supplies get, get moved where they need to go. Um, so with that said, though, in, in, the, in the country or the U.S., one of the things that came out of the article from the New York Times was is he thought he was doing a public service by trying to take it from rural communities where uh, there'd be less potential cross-contamination virus spreads slower in those areas, and that's true, um, and took it to urban areas or, or quite frankly, e-commerce by Amazon.com, allowing anybody to buy whatever they needed. So, <clears throat> uh, so it goes on to say the temporary high, high, price gouge, uh, high prices give price gougers a financial incentive to, pro to provide critical goods to residents of those affected areas and fill in the gaps until those goods are later supplied in sufficient quantities by national retailers like Home Depot and Walmart and the Red Cross and all those other good um, generators. Um, those price gougers then go out of business. But until those uh, supplies arrive in sufficient quantities through traditional sources, the price gougers assist the recovery efforts by filling the gap and providing those much-needed critical supplies to affected residents while they wait for normal supply chains to be restored. And by the way, I think our normal supply chains are going to take two to six weeks to get restored right now. And, and that's crazy to think about. It's also important to point out that the huge level risks and, and uncertainties that price gougers face, in addition to the large investments they make in terms of financial outlays and personal time, to illustrate those risks and costs, consider the case of John Shepardson of Kentucky, who in 2005 took time away from his normal job to buy 19 generators, rented a U-Haul truck, and drove it 600 miles to the Katrina damaged areas of Mississippi. So this is eerily the same story that we've seen um, with, with the current guy on the New York Times front page today. Or yesterday. So, so suppose Shepardson paid $500 at his local Home Depot in Kentucky for each generator. That would have required an initial investment of $9,500 upfront plus another $570 for Kentucky's 6% sales tax. Then Shepardson had to rent a U-Haul truck for a week at the cost of about $1,000 for rental charges and gas, adding more than $50 to the costs invested per generator. Then drives 600 miles, finds a place to stay while traveling. It's obvious that Mr. Shepardson invested a lot of his money and took a lot of risk in his entrepreneurial venture. For example, what if he drove to Mississippi and found out that there wasn't he wasn't able to sell any of his 19 generators, either because there wasn't enough demand or he wasn't able to access any of the willing customers for generators because the roads were impassable due to flooding? What if other entrepreneurs got to the affected area first, satisfied all the demand for generators, leaving John with no customers? Or what if the competition among sellers was so intense that the market price for generators was only $600 and John was barely able to even cover all his costs. 
John made it to Mississippi, offered to sell his generators at twice the price he paid to help cover the cost of almost $600 per generator, and maybe made a profit. Instead, Shepperson was arrested by local law enforcement officers for price gouging, and his generators were confiscated. He was held by police for four days. The generators were kept in police custody for evidence, never made it to the consumers with urgent needs or desperately wanted to buy them. So those 19 generators are taken off the market instead of helping. And quite frankly, if my house was flooded and I needed a generator to, you know, to keep my fridge going or whatever, I would have paid 2000 bucks happily at the time. That dude would, would have definitely been doing me a service. So I can definitely see this scenario and why it makes sense. The John Shepherdson case illustrates the great financial and legal risks faced by price gougers and why high prices are often justified just to cover some of the additional costs required to bring supplies quickly to disaster-stricken areas. Without some possibility to cover out-of-pocket costs and make a profit, there would be no incentive for, on for entrepreneurs like Shepherdson to bring critical supplies to residents in disaster areas who are desperate for no those needed supplies. And I, I find that to be a pretty compelling argument because um, if, if, if you stabilize prices and control them, say like the government mandated, hey, you literally can't go above $500, nobody's going to go visit Mississippi. Why would they? There's no incentive. And nobody in Mississippi would have gotten generators had that been the case until Home Depot or Walmart showed up. And why would Home Depot or Walmart show up? Because they have no financial uh, incentive. They they, they would make just as much money by not showing up as showing up, quite frankly. Higher wages will attract workers from outside the affected areas to provide their labor necessary for the construction and rebuilding efforts. If wages are not allowed to rise, there will be no financial incentive to attract construction workers to the disaster area for non-affected states to help the recovery efforts. There will be significant worker shortages that will delay the necess uh, necessary rebuilding. Um, so obviously, we're not talking about rebuilding the country right now. So this point is less applicable in our current state of affairs. But imagine, imagine utilities and power starts going offline here in the next week or two. It will definitely be topical. Higher market prices efficiently allocate scarce goods and services to those most willing to pay for those who value the critical goods most highly. For example, businesses, grocery stores, gas stations, hospitals, and banks are often willing to pay higher prices than individuals for scarce goods like generators when there's no electricity, which allows them to reopen for business as soon as possible or even stay in business. So if, if a grocery store was trying to operate and they couldn't get access to uh, something that makes them operatable, then that's thousands of more customers that can't get access to anything um, to begin with. So um, they're more willing to pay those higher prices. So let's say that if all the prices were leveled, then the grocery store couldn't jump the line, so to speak, pay a higher price, get access to that generator, and that way affecting thousands of people instead of just the one family that would have bought it at regular pricing, for example. Higher prices give some affected residents a choice that they would otherwise not have. If affected residents are without supplies and a price gouger arrives offering those supplies for sales, an option is presented to the resident that might not otherwise exist. So we're experiencing that right now on Amazon. Because price gougers have been banned, nobody has access. There is literally nothing. Let's, and I haven't even checked this before I, I started talking. So let's just type in hand sanitizer right now. And let's see if we can find any. And you look on here, there is literally no prime listings for hand sanitizer right now. What that means is that nobody has two-day shipping on this. And a bunch of people have showed up 
with random, random products that are shipping out of somebody's warehouse or particularly store or side hustle garage. So all of the regular two-day shipping options are offline. And if you want to buy hand sanitizer right now, you're rolling the dice that that seller actually has possession of the item. They may not, by the way. Um, and so, so that means that the shipping time on this could be a week out. Um, so that's, that's a pretty big market without any hand sanitizer available um, quickly. Even if the price might be high, the resident at least has a choice and decide whether or not to make the purchase. At least temporarily, the post-disaster choice is not between water or plywood at low prices versus high prices. Rather, the reality of that choice is between goods offered at a high price that are available and those goods that are at a low price that are currently not available. So that's exactly what we're seeing right now where they're not available hand sanitizers. So that's the choice. It's either nothing or high prices. Voluntary exchanges at high prices are still a win-win transaction that benefit both the buyer and the seller. Higher market prices following a disaster provide a more accurate measure of the true scarcity of a good than an artificially low price would result from government-imposed price ceilings in the form of anti-price gouging laws. This is another really compelling argument because if, if we don't allow the free market to mess with uh, supply and demand, then it doesn't send a signal to the manufacturer that, boom, I need to go generate a million um, ounces of hand sanitizer right now. And it doesn't incentivize that manufacturer to go bust out that million um, ounces of hand sanitizer, paying overtime, keeping the factory 24-7 versus his regular 12-hour shifts that he has with his workers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you can see that the free market would fix it quicker than the government can step in. All right. So back to the article, therefore, higher market prices and wages will do a much better job of limiting post-disaster shortages than price ceilings. The diagram above illustrates how market prices for many goods naturally rise following a disaster to reflect the increase in demand from, um, for goods like water, plywood, and generators at the same time that there is a decrease in the supply of those goods. The market price naturally rises as a result of the disruption uh, to the market, and the new market condition is the post-disaster period. The higher market price is only temporary and will fail, or excuse me, fall once supplies are brought to the affected area. If prices are not allowed to increase and are forced to remain at the pre-hurricane level by price gouging laws, we can see graphically above that a guaranteed large shortage will result. Exactly what we're experiencing right now with hand sanitizer. Because the quantity demand by consumers at the artificially low price will greatly exceed the quantity supplied by sellers. And that graph illustrates that there are only two options, higher market prices that accurately reflect the new market conditions and eliminate shortages, or artificially low government mandated prices at pre-disaster levels, um, or prices that are restricted from increasing to the market price that are guaranteed to create shortages. If the goal is to minimize suffering and minimize the time it takes to recover as quickly as possible, then we should allow temporarily higher market prices. Price, keeping prices artificially low with legislation will do the opposite, increase suffering and lengthen the recovery period. Disadvantages of allowing prices to reflect market conditions after hurricane. It might be considered unfair, unethical, or immoral by some that certain residents now temporarily pay higher than before the disaster. Uh, I think many people absolutely made that comment on the, the video yesterday. 
advantages of preventing prices and wages from rising following hurricanes with anti-price gouging laws. Some goods and services will be more affordable to certain residents because of the artificially low prices. Many scarce goods will be allocated on a first-come, first-served basis rather than price, which will benefit those who are at the front of the line and obtain goods before they quickly become unavailable. Disadvantages of preventing prices and wages from rising following hurricanes with anti-price gouging laws requires costly enforcement, prosecution using scarce resources of law enforcement agencies, attorney general, and court systems. Further, individuals convicted of price gouging may have criminal records. Um, See example above, like John Shepardson, who may have lifelong negative effects on their employment opportunities. Anti-price gouging laws are inherently problematic because of the arbitrary and subjective definition of what precisely and legally defines price gouging. If a given quantity of water normally costs $10 before a disaster, what higher price will be illegal gouging? And outlawed, $11, $15, $20, who decides? And this is exactly what happened in the New York Times article where uh, he was buying it for a dollar or $2 and selling it for $10, $20, $25, but it costs $8 to ship. So what what is the fair market price um, for all his labor time, investment, et cetera, and how much time he had to spend driving around all those stores to collect the goods? It's debatable. Uh, Next point, number three, keeping prices artificially low encourages overconsumption of critical supplies like food, water, and fails to promote conservation of those scarce resources. In contrast, higher market prices uh, and uh, had the opposite effect and highly desirable effect of discouraging overconsumption by encouraging conservation. Number four, keeping prices and wages artificially low discourages or prevents needed supplies and workers from being attracted to the affected areas from areas that weren't affected. Price ceilings guarantee shortages of critical supplies and workers and a much longer time for the recovery and rebuilding period compared to temporarily high market prices. Supplies from FEMA, the Red Cross, retailers like Home Depot and Walmart will eventually reach the affected areas, but the critical role of entrepreneurial price gougers will no longer help fill the gap in the recovery process. Number five, artificially low prices allocate scarce goods and resources on a first-come, first-served basis rather than a willingness to pay basis that gets to those scarce goods in the hands of those who value them most highly. And so that exact scenario with the grocery stores, hospitals, etc., uh, not being able to jump the line. And then compared to market prices, artificially low prices following a disaster provide an inaccurate measure of the true scarcity. So therefore, those artificially low prices are guaranteed to create significant shortages. So that's that's the article. I'll, again, we'll put the link in the uh, in the comment section of the of the video. Um, very very political polarizing topic. A lot of comments on the video yesterday. We'll post a link to the video um, as well as the podcast on that as well. Um, please feel free to, to to weigh in and 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 give me your thoughts on what you think about this in the comment section. Do you think that it's better to have price gouging or better to have shortages? Because that is ultimately the question that we're dealing with here. And it's not an easy one. Uh, my name is Stephen Pope. I'm the founder of my Amazon guy. And for those that sell on Amazon, if you need any Amazon consulting, you can go over to myamazonguy.com. Thanks so much for listening.